Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Happy post-Thanksgiving, everybody, and it's uh, all eyes turning, uh, and I really mean that literally, to the NFL. Uh, A whole host of issues, and uh, college football cannot be far behind. It is a special football podcast, and who better to analyze this, certainly after the Mets debacle of this year. We're now focusing on football Amy Tenery, digital editor for Reuters. How are you? Sorry, to, for, sorry for the mispronunciation. No, that's quite all right. Um, great to be here, and I'm just uh, sleeping off that turkey and, and ready to talk sports again. Will you and about 26.5 million other viewers on average watch the Thanksgiving Day games in the NFL this year? CBS, Fox, NBC all saw up to about an average of 17% increase based on last year comparison. Why is that? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Christmas certainly came early for the NFL. Great viewership. I would personally argue that the three games that played on Thanksgiving were simply more dynamic matchups than last year. You know, you got D.C., Dallas, Bears, Lions, Falcons, Saints. That's a whole lot grabbier to me than Chargers, Cowboys. But maybe that's just, uh, I don't know, my own bias. What do you think? Well, you know, it's 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 certainly the NFL continues to try to pit premium matchups with all of the networks and giving them some of the choices. Their flex games on Sunday nights with the NFL late in the season. Fox had Thursday night this year took over from NBC last year and immediately put in intra-divisional matchups. It was a case this year of the NFL getting kind of lucky because last year the teams effectively ran away with their own divisions and good games, good teams, bad teams uh, in their own divisions were a lot more than this year. A lot closer games, a lot of interesting spirited rivalries. And the NFL has done the same thing they've done before is trying to highlight matchups on important days. Uh, They just did get lucky. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, no matter what they do at the start of the season, they're going to plot out these games, right? And they're going to think that, you know, this team's going to be great. This team's going to be like, okay. Um, but you never quite know until it shakes out a little bit. What I'm wondering is if, if they can use any of uh, the examples from these Thanksgiving Day matchups to try to improve the slate of offerings we see on the infamously snoozeworthy Thursday night football. Um, do you think there's any, any lessons to be learned here? Yeah, there have been a couple of good games this year, and as it gets closer to the end of the season, the rivalries hopefully will add some good games. A lot of five and six, six and five teams. A lot of the playoff spots have already been decided, but there's at least one in each conference where you're going to come down to the last weekend. And the last weekend, as you may know, is all intra-divisional schedules. And so because of that, it gives you a really good opportunity to get some of those rivalries done. So again, kudos to the NFL. little sad news to report, I think, although positive for the NFL is that two of the NFL's Titan owners, Paul Allen with the Seahawks and Bob McNair with the Texans, passed in the last three weeks. Definitely different tracks to see how to dispose of those franchises. They're both 
iconic figures in their respective cities, business-wise and football-wise. And so what, what's your take on, on the different tracks that the uh, ownership groups are taking to honor their memories and deal with their assets? Well, it's so it's so interesting that you mentioned uh, different tracks because in, in many ways, right? They they both came in to the NFL around the same time. You know, Paul Allen uh, worked his way in the ownership of the Seahawks in '96. McNair was really instrumental in in bringing uh, football to Houston in the first place in 1999. So um, it it is an end of that kind of late '90s era of football. Um, What's interesting to me, and you and I discussed this earlier, is that Paul Allen had such a diversity of teams that he was really dabbling in. You got the Blazers, Sounders, Seahawks, and and that's all sort of being sold to different bidders. Whereas the McNair family is uh, is holding on to the the Texans. Uh, that to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, I obviously know that Paul Allen was tremendously important to the Seahawks, and he leaves behind a tremendous void, but. Um, you know, much in the style of Al Davis, I think that McNair kind of made the Texans who they are quite literally and figuratively. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think in both cases, the families are doing the right things and I think they're doing right by the teams. The McNair family in good hands, keeping it, obviously, the expansion franchise, by the way, in 99 was $600 million. The Panthers just sold for over $2.3 billion. So keeping it in the family is not a bad thing, especially since he understands how to make money, or his family did. He sold his Kogan Technologies company to Enron for $1.5 billion in 1999, so clearly had a, knowing how to make money. Paul Allen, on the other hand, incredibly philanthropic. If you take the Blazers and the Seahawks and the Sounders and you look at them based on what they're worth today in the market, that's $4 billion, and he has pledged that the assets will go to the Allen Foundation for charitable purposes. Really, really positive and really, really good stuff. Turning our, our attention a bit to college because uh, we have a, a really kind of interesting perspective and undefeated, uh, at least as of now, University of Central Florida football team. Now that's 22 in a row over two seasons. Uh, Danny White, the athletic director of the UCF uh, Knights, has a really interesting perspective as a Power Five conference aspirant. He's not in one of those big conferences. The playoffs are just around the corner. Danny White, the son of the athletic director at Duke and the brother of the uh, football coach at uh, basketball coach at University of Florida. Very interesting perspectives in a number of ways. Let's talk college football in a minute, but let's hear Danny White first. Athletic director extraordinaire. It says pedigree family, but you're doing it on your own. Danny White, how are you? Doing great. Excited about this game tonight against Temple. Absolutely. We taped this, and this is going to evergreen. So 20 in a row, maybe come 25. Yeah. And so, first of all, the whole notion of the national championship defense and the marketing plan around it and the increased merchandise and the donors, it's a great marketing device, right? Very successful. It's really rallied, I think, our alumni base nationally and certainly the community of Orlando. We we sold 10,400 new season tickets going into this year, so our fan base is growing really fast, and uh, our whole university community is excited about the success of our football team for sure. Is there a, as you budget and as you plan, there's always the discussion about Power Fives and everybody else. How do you 
do your 15, 20 year plans when you know next year is up for uncertainty as well from a business perspective, a planning perspective? Yeah, we, we're, we're scheduled already next year. Uh, we, yeah. we don't believe that there's a power five around here. We think if there's a power anything, it's a Clearly. power six. Right. That's uh, a RESCO's term, basically, right? Is that kind of? I think our, our yeah. teams across the conference have shown right. that on the field over five years. And, but next year, we have uh, we return our game to Pittsburgh uh, for a non-conference six game. We have Sanford at home. Uh, I'm working on schedules for 20 and 21 and beyond right now. Certainly, the more success our team has, uh, candidly, it, it is harder to schedule. And how important is the Spectrum Stadium and the 40, what, 7,000 seats and the dimensions of this place as far as revenue and also ease of schedule and credibility? It's really important. You know, our university has made significant investments in building an on-campus stadium and uh, launching a Division One athletic department. You do that to build the pageantry and revelry and alumni affinity, yeah. all the traditional things that come out of uh, a whole, an on-campus college football environment. And you'll see that tonight. You'll see 12,000 students having a great experience. So having a Good home schedule is very important to us. Just commercially, again, business show, business perspective. So I guess Air Alaska kind of broke the mold, and then United Airlines, and everybody was talking about the blasphemy of naming a facility after a corporate sponsor. There's enough room for the donor and the sponsor at the same time. Where is that whole notion going, and was there a problem here, or was it the right answer with Spectrum? Since we opened the stadium, it was Bright House Network Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Bright House got uh, uh, bought by, by Spectrum, and we're proud to have Spectrum's name on our stadium. It's a, uh, a, a big time. Time, a growing brand in, in Orlando, but obviously nationally, uh, I think it's a part of doing business. You know, we have to generate revenue to support our student athletes. We we make money in college athletics, really off of in most in most instances two sports. For us, it's football, and men's basketball. But then we spend dollars egalitarian, in an egalitarian way yeah. across 16 sports to provide a world student athletes so we can be competitive and compete for national championships. And I, I assume you're proud of the graduation rate relative to other schools. Not in Florida, but around the country. No question. Any academic metric you yeah. look at, our student athletes are competing in the classroom. GPA, academic progress rate, we're really proud of, uh, of their accomplishments. So, next economic frontier, two issues that are probably distant. So, gambling and alcohol, where, 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 where are colleges and where are you all in, that, in both of those? We currently allow alcohol in our premium spaces. Yeah and we are expanding premium spaces. It's what the corporate community here in Orlando wants. We were sold out in all of our club seats. We just added low seats this year. They sold out yeah. almost immediately. The field cabanas, which we did uh, last year and then on the other end on this year is a really unique product. Uh, so th there's alcohol available in all the premium areas. Our philosophy is one, when half of the student body isn't of age, we don't feel comfortable offering it up to the, to the whole stadium because of the students. Uh, and we also want to create a, a family friendly atmosphere. We want 8-year-olds and 12-year-olds in our stadium, uh, and, and, and sometimes uh, people don't uh, handle it as responsibly as we'd like. Well put. Um, so Mississippi, Associate AD, Buffalo, here, those are three dynamic different kind of programs. SEC, Buffalo, and here. What Compare and contrast. The, what they all have in common is they, they all had uh, significant upside. When, when we were at Ole Miss, we talked about if you want to be competitive in the SEC, here's what you need to do as a fan base. 
base, and the fan base really stepped up, and we built a lot of facilities. And uh, the, the plan there was, you're already in the conference you want to be in, but you hadn't been competitive. And, and let's talk about how we do that. At Buffalo, the flagship university of the state of New York, uh, there, there's just tremendous upside at that university, and I really enjoy the work we're doing there. But uh, having said that, th there's not more pot potential at any athletic department in the country than this one right here because of our inherent competitive advantages from a recruiting standpoint, obviously weather, a university that really cares and is growing. It's the fastest growing university and the fastest growing city in America, uh, just surrounded by talent in every sport that we play. So I get really excited and energized about working with the community and working with our donors and sponsors to build something, uh, and that's what we're doing here. That was the best pitch in the history of the world, ladies and gentlemen. And all he got out of this is a little more intense international awareness. No donors. <laughs> no check is here. Final question for you. I was about you. to make the pitch. Yeah. We need no, don't bother. Up. Yeah, don't bother. Yeah. Go, don't go, go do that down the hall. Yeah. So here's the other issue, which is, which is really important. Um, family competition, Thanksgiving dinner. How do you prorate whether you or your dad win? So a net revenue increase in Duke, and then you got your brother with basketball in Florida. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you guys decide who comes out on top? You know, we had FAU here <laughs> earlier this year. Yeah. My, my brother Brian just got the oh, athletic about that. job at yeah. FAU, yeah. Uh, and it was miserable for both of us. Yeah. We don't compete with each other right. uh, on things related to our jobs. Now, uh, whether it's darts or uh, beach volleyball or something like that, we're very competitive, uh, but but we, we're usually, we talk a lot and just uh, bouncing ideas off each other to help each other out. And in all seriousness, your, your dad uh, has done an amazing job at, at Duke. It's now football power. And it's incredible. It's amazing the job yeah. David Cutcliffe has done there. Yeah. It's just been fun to watch, and they've had a lot of donors step up. It's a great story of how philanthropy and philanthropic investments can improve facilities and allow a program to, to sustain success, and that's exactly what they've done. Uh, uh, Duke, uh, UCF, uh, FAU uh, scheduling down the road? No, I don't want to <laughs> no. play that. <laughs> Look, there was one thing that's very clear. That's a no from this guy. Yeah, we're yeah. playing at FAU to return that game next year. Yeah, well, that's it's a different story. Thank you, my friend. Thank really, you. Really, really appreciate, appreciate it. Here. Thanks, yeah. All right, so Danny White obviously has some perspective, not only because interesting Thanksgiving table conversations with all of his fellow brethren and fathering in football, uh, but he's got another perspective as to college football from the UCF side. What do you take away from all this? Well, I got to say, I, you know, he was incredibly forthright in your uh, your conversation. I have some doubts about uh, the whole, oh, we don't have a rivalry about our business kind of thing. I, I'm, I would bet there's some uh, some prop bets on the side, but we'll leave that to another day. Um, no, I thought it was it was incredibly interesting to hear him talk about how he approaches his role as athletic director at UCF. It, it was not only um, an awareness, obviously, of all the on-the-field activities and for our purposes, on-the-field activities for football, but also this idea of really managing the stadium and managing the stadium environment. He spoke a lot about um, expanding seating excuse me, um, for premium attendees, making sure that uh, the sale of alcohol was restricted to certain areas so that it could be fun for the students who are there who he rightly pointed out roughly half half of them are probably not of age um, and also make it so it's a place where families can can bring their younger kids so that to me was kind of interesting this that sort of situational awareness of every single thing that goes on in that stadium on the field to the bleachers it kind of a yeah, concierge front man understanding what this is all like Got this built as Spectrum Stadium uh, recently. 
A lot of it has to do with the significant stage support of this university, one of the fastest growing universities in the country. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they'd won 22 in a row and they claimed the mythical national championship this last year. They beat Auburn in one of the key bowl games and they said, look, we don't have to be voted the national champion. We say we are. We didn't lose a game. And that's also incredibly dynamic as they go into the next season and beyond. How do you continue building the brand? It's an amazing operation and really, really good for college football. And they may single-handedly change the way the playoff structure is done today and in the future. Kudos to Danny White. And speak with you all later. Rick Harrow, speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.